We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 239 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, January 28th, 2022, as we are on the verge of the NFL's Conference Championship Game Weekend. Conference Championship Sunday is this Sunday. The Cincinnati Bengals at the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship Game Sunday afternoon at three. The San Francisco 49ers at the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC Championship Game Sunday evening at 6.30. You know, prior to this NFL season, the company with which I work in doing this podcast, Blue Wire, asked its hosts for Super Bowl predictions. My Super Bowl prediction was Rams-Chiefs. I am sticking with that. I like the Chiefs and the Rams to win on Sunday, and they'll take them both giving points. Chiefs per win bet as I tape this very early Friday morning at 4.02 a.m. or minus 7. The Rams per win bet as of a very early Friday morning are minus three and a half. Arguably the best regular season game in the NFL in recent years was that epic Rams-Chiefs game from 2018. November 19th, 2018, Monday Night Football, the Rams beat the Chiefs 54-51. I want a rematch in this year's Super Bowl. We'll see. Hello and welcome to a Friday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast for which there's a new episode every weekday out in the 5 a.m. hour. Yes, out oh so early each weekday morning, so you may start your day with fresh, high-level content. And boy, do we have high-level content on this show, or at least we have content. I'll let you decide if it's high-level. But next segment, in-depth reaction to major Washington football team news on Thursday. The announcement that this coming Thursday, there will be a roundtable with multiple former Washington football team employees before Congress detailing their experiences of workplace misconduct while working for Washington. Yes, we on Thursday finally got an update regarding Congress's involvement 
in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. And the timing of this roundtable is a whopper. The roundtable will take place on the day after the Washington football team announces its new name. What a shot by Congress at the team. This 100% is Congress sticking it to Dan Snyder. This 100% is Congress giving Dan Snyder the Stone Cold Steve Austin double middle finger. This Wednesday, February 2nd, Washington will announce its new name. This Thursday, February 3rd, Washington will get bludgeoned via a roundtable with multiple former Washington football team employees before Congress detailing their experiences of workplace misconduct while working for Washington. I have so much to say about this. I'll give you all of that next segment. I then have a special guest for you, Pro Football Focus lead fantasy football analyst Ian Harditz. Uh, He will talk Washington football team with us. If you're a fantasy football person, you're going to love this. Even if you're not a fantasy football person, you're going to get a lot out of this because the conversation really is about the Washington football team, not so much fantasy football. Uh, But Ian's a really smart guy. He's great at talking NFL. He wrote a really good piece on San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, we on the podcast have talked about whether Washington should be in the market for Garoppolo. Should he be available via trade this offseason. Well, uh, you don't want to miss what Ian has to say about Garoppolo. Also, you don't want to miss what Ian has to say about Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, We've all heard the reports slash rumors about Washington being interested in Trubisky, who is set to be an unrestricted free agent for the Buffalo Bills. You may be dismissive of Trubisky. Uh, I am far from in love with Trubisky. I'm not even certain he's an upgrade over Taylor Heineke. But Ian isn't at all dismissive of Mitchell Trubisky for Washington. So good stuff with Ian Harditz of Pro Football Focus. Ian also will talk Taylor Heineke, Antonio Gibson, and Terry McLaurin. Also on the show, I will discuss the Wizards, including a humbling of Bradley Beal in the NBA All-Star Game voting that was announced on Thursday night. Bradley Beal got made humble, as the Iron Sheik would say. Make him humble! Make him humble. Yes, cheeky baby. But also from Bradley Beal, some very interesting and telling comments to Wizards insider Chris Miller of NBC Sports Washington about what's going on with the Wizards right now and what Beal is thinking in terms of his future with the Wizards. Um, I am getting a little fed up with this whole Beal situation, so I'm going to rant on that later in the show. A reminder to subscribe to the podcast. If you don't already do that, subscribing costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Also, if you're listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating. If you haven't yet done that, uh, you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, please write a brief one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. Uh, These ratings and reviews help to make the podcast successful. Advertisers look at the ratings and the reviews. Uh, The ratings and the reviews don't take long to do, like 30 seconds or less. And thank you very much for doing the ratings and reviews. I really do appreciate them. Uh, You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Andy in Switzerland. Writes Andy, I am a loyal listener to your podcast. 
ever since your microphone got shut down at the team 980. Uh, I used to live in the D.C. areas. My father used to work for the Swiss government and got deployed all over the world. I brought my fandom for the WFT back to Switzerland and now follow all podcasts I can find like yours and others as well. Well, thank you for that, Andy. I appreciate that very much. Hope that all is well in the homeland of the great Roger Federer, Switzerland. Uh, I have received a number of terrific emails regarding Wednesday's show, episode 237, our special 30th anniversary tribute show to the 1991 Redskins as they beat the Buffalo Bills in Super Bowl 26 30 years ago Wednesday, January 26th, 1992. Email from Jim D. After listening to your pod, hearing voices from the past on the radio, and especially after watching highlights of that team on YouTube, I couldn't help but be in a state of disbelief. It was as if we were a completely different franchise. There was no beaten down fan base, no horrible stadium experience, no embarrassment on the field, no shame off the field. We were the team that other NFL teams looked up to, and it is a concept that is hard for me to fathom. I always kind of knew that we were great back then, but seeing how great we were really helps a younger fan like me put into perspective how much it might hurt for people like you to see how far this organization has fallen. At 21 years old, I have seen my fair share of bad football. My lone source of true joy and inspiration with the Washington Redskins was RG3's electrifying rookie season of 2012. RG3, electrifying! Yes, electrifying. Uh, It became the springboard of my love for football and is the reason why I rep this team so hard today. Now, all I can say to the longtime fans is, I understand now. It's been easy for me to get used to the losing, but for others who have seen this team at the absolute top slide to the absolute bottom, I know it can't be a good feeling. But like you said, it is fitting that this anniversary is one week ahead of 2.2.22. It is one last final goodbye to what was. Here's to hoping the soon-to-be Washington Commanders, parentheses, question mark, can create a new legacy and lift this aching fan base back up again. Jim, excellent email. Very well put. Email from Robert Delaney. Episode 237's talk about the 91 Redskins led me to watch playoff games on YouTube. It was funny watching the Atlanta Falcons fight for space around the portable heater. There wasn't any room for another player to squeeze in. You know that weasel, Jerry Glanville, ran off the field after the game and left Joe Jackson, as in Gibbs, searching. Wow, did the Redskins play some physical ball against the Buffalo Bills in Super Bowl 26. The defense was throwing people around and getting an extra hit every chance that the defense could against the Bills. Uh, Thank you for that email, Robert. Yeah, as I talked about during Wednesday's show, the defense of the 1991 Redskins was really good. Uh, That defense gets overlooked because of the offensive prowess of that team, but the defense, a major reason for why that Skins team is the best Skins team ever. That defense was special. Email from Michael King. Thanks very much, Al, for a terrific pod for the 30th anniversary. I'm 53 years old and remember the whole decade. You are correct in saying we took it for granted 
The skins were great from when I was around 13 to 23 years old. So during my formative years, the Joe Gibbs Redskins were nothing but great. So I thought, what's the big deal? It will always be good because all I knew was good. Can you believe that I took the Super Bowl as no big deal? Glorious, certainly, but just wait for the next one to come right around the corner. Now, 30 years have passed, and I couldn't have imagined back then that they could continue to be so bad for so long. So fun to remember, to hear the voices and highlights. Snyder Incorporated (laughs) has ruined it all. Thank you for that email, Michael. Uh, Moron, Snyder Incorporated. Next segment. Email from Josh. We all have seen FedEx Field over the years constantly be taken over by the opposing team's fans. It has been well documented on the pod. What a crap hole of a stadium it is. But darn it, Al, FedEx Field is our crap hole. It's time that we take it back. And us here in Galdi Nation are just the ones to do it. You could lead us one home game on a take back of FedEx Field. First, We could start with an Al Galdi podcast tailgate. You could blast the pod opening song from the Red Zone lot. You could have sponsors of the pod, such as John G., Weedman, Paulson and Nace, Imageworks, and Dr. George Verghese make appearances at the tailgate. Before the game, you could address Galdi Nation on a megaphone with some words of encouragement. Then we could all sit together in a designated section at FedEx Field for the game. Parentheses, tickets purchased on TickPick, of course. United, we could be a force to be reckoned with. None of the opposing team's fans would dare mess with us during the game, and FedEx Field would feel the power of the pod. What do you think? Uh, Josh, I like how you think, my friend. If the Washington football team itself can't get things right at FedEx Field, then gosh darn it, we can. The only thing that I would add to all of that is that we would need to take a group photo in front of porta-potties outside of FedEx Field. As long as we would do that, I'd be good. Uh, But yes, I would love to do an event like that at FedEx Field someday. Maybe we could all hang out by a railing near the tunnel to the visiting team's locker room and just see what happens, huh? Well, if something bad did happen, it would be good that we would have Paulson and Nace there. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and Nace fights for the rights and futures of victims and their families throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a D.C.-based family law firm. The Naces are big Washington football team fans, not sure if they're big fans of FedEx Field, but Paulson and Nace has a skilled team of personal injury, birth injury, and medical malpractice trial attorneys that puts your best interests first. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. When you are injured because of someone else's negligence, you may experience feelings of anger, anxiety, frustration. Choosing the right law firm to help you can be overwhelming. I mean, how do you know whom to trust? How do you know that you'll be protected? If you are in this predicament, it's very simple. Here's the clarity that you need. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace. 
schedule a no-obligation appointment, and see what Paulson and Nace has to say about your situation. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Just call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. Well, one of the things that has stood out to me in recent years as a Washington football team fan is that seemingly whenever something good or exciting happens with the team currently known as the Washington football team, uh, that thing is quickly followed by something bad that happens. Maybe the ultimate example of this was the RG3 trade. Washington in March 2012 made this massive, ultra-exciting trade-up for the number two overall pick in the 2012 NFL Draft to take a quarterback, who we all figured would be Robert Griffin III and ended up being Robert Griffin III. And when Washington made that trade in March 2012, we were all so pumped, we were all so psyched, and then do you remember what happened just a few days later? The salary cap penalty. Washington was penalized a total of $36 million in cap space over the 2012 and 2013 seasons for things that the team did in the uncapped year of 2010. Thank you, John Mara, New York Giants owner, who led the charge for the salary cap penalty. The news of Washington trading up in the 2012 NFL draft broke on Friday night, March 9th. 2012. I'll never forget that. The news of the salary cap penalty broke on Monday, March 12th, 2012. So we got the great and exciting news of the trade-up in the 2012 draft, soon followed by the salary cap penalty. Something good quickly followed by something bad. How about the 2012 season? It was a great season. That resulted in Washington ending the regular season on a thrilling seven-game winning streak and winning the NFC East on the backs of a stud rookie quarterback in RG3 and a stud rookie running back in Alfred Morris. The future was bright. Things were changing. And then what happened? RG3 suffered a torn right ACL and LCL in a loss to the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field in the wildcard round of the 2013 NFL playoffs, forever altering his career and relationship with Mike Shanahan, with whom things already had deteriorated. So we had the awesome 2012 regular season, followed by RG3 suffering a torn right ACL and LCL that postseason. That 2013 offseason became not about the great 2012 regular season. That 2013 offseason became about what happened to RG3 in the postseason. Something good quickly followed by something bad. How about Washington's best win of the 2021 regular season? A stunning, jaw-dropping, out of nowhere, 29-19 victory over the reigning, defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. But what happened in that game? Chase Young suffered a torn right ACL. We got that news shortly after the win. Something good quickly followed by something bad. There for years now, for whatever reason, has been this tendency 
with Washington where whenever something good happens, it seemingly, inevitably, is followed by something bad that happens. And so with all of that as a backdrop, how about what we're now set to have next week? Wednesday, February 2nd, we'll have the announcement of the Washington football team's new name. Thursday, February 3rd, we'll have a roundtable with multiple former Washington football team employees before Congress detailing their experiences of workplace misconduct while working for Washington. Now, whether you view the announcement of the new name on February 2nd as a good thing is up to you, but the announcement of the new name at the very least is something that the team is attempting to spin as a good thing, as an exciting thing. I mean, the goal for the team this Wednesday is for that day to be a positive day. But we now know that the next day, February 3rd, will not be a positive day. Uh, The next day, February 3rd, may well be a horrendous day for the team currently known as the Washington football team. It had been a while since we had heard from Congress regarding its involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. It was this past October 21st that Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy, sent that letter to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell requesting documents and information regarding the Washington football team's hostile workplace culture and the NFL's handling of the matter. Uh, The letter requested that documents and information be made available by this past November 4th? Well, that didn't happen. Uh, Instead, the NFL submitted answers to questions posed by the House Oversight and Reform Committee as opposed to submitting actual documents. And so we had been waiting and wondering, okay, is this congressional involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal gonna actually go anywhere? Or is this just another example of Congress talking big, but doing actually nothing. Remember, the cause of Congress getting involved in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal was the reigniting of the scandal via the leaked emails from Bruce Allen during his time as a Washington executive. The scandal, for all intents and purposes, was over. Then came the leaking of the emails this past October, or at the very least, the reports of the emails came out this past October. The emails, of course, cost John Gruden his job as Las Vegas Raiders head coach. He's now suing the NFL and Roger Goodell. And the emails also led to Congress asking questions about Washington's workplace misconduct scandal and the NFL's handling of that scandal. Well, on Thursday, more than three months since we first heard of congressional involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, we got a significant update. Representative Carolyn B. Maloney on Thursday morning put out a statement announcing that, quote, on Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, at 10 a.m. Eastern, Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy, will hold a hybrid roundtable with several former Washington football team, parentheses, WFT, employees, to discuss issues of workplace misconduct and the National Football League's, parentheses, NFL, failure to take steps 
to prevent sexual harassment and verbal abuse within the WFT under the leadership of owner Dan Snyder. The roundtable will be an opportunity for committee members to hear firsthand accounts of former employees and will inform potential legislative solutions to better protect all workers from harassment and discrimination, end quote. So we're going to have a hybrid roundtable this Thursday. I can't say that I had ever heard of a hybrid roundtable prior to Thursday. Now, a few things about this hybrid roundtable. It will be in a traditional hearing room. The hybrid roundtable will be live streamed via YouTube and on the website for the Committee on Oversight and Reform. But participants in the roundtable will not be sworn in. So I'm assuming that means that participants in the roundtable are not subject to potential charges of perjury. Uh, Any lawyers who are listening right now who want to clarify that or correct me on that, feel free. But it would seem to me that participants in the roundtable not being sworn in is notable. Uh, Not that I think that the participants will be lying, but maybe the most notable thing of all with this hybrid roundtable is the date (laughs) that the hybrid roundtable is being held on February 3rd is hysterical to me. That the hybrid roundtable is being held the day after the Washington football team announces its new name is classic, is it not? This is a total troll job of Dan Snyder by Congress. This is a total bleep you to Dan Snyder by Congress. Come on, there's no way that it's just a coincidence that the hybrid roundtable is being held the day after the Washington football team announces its new name. Washington is going to announce its new name this Wednesday, and then Washington is going to get hammered this Thursday because clips of that hybrid roundtable will be all over the place. Again, the roundtable will be live-streamed via YouTube and on the website for the committee on oversight and reform. The Washington football team has been hyping 2.2.22. Congress now has something big on 2.3.22. You can't make this stuff up. Only our football team would announce a new name of the team on one day and then be the subject in a negative way of a congressional roundtable the next day. Danny Boy, happy Thanksgiving. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Danny. Hello. Uh, Now, as far as who is participating in the hybrid roundtable, the announcement from Representative Carolyn B. Maloney on Thursday announced five former Washington employees as witnesses who will be present at the roundtable. All five of the witnesses are familiar names in terms of having gone on the record about Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. There may well be more than five witnesses, but the five witnesses who were announced are the following former Washington employees. Emily Applegate, she served as a marketing coordinator, premium client services coordinator, and ticket sales representative for Washington. Melanie Coburn, she served as a director of marketing, marketing coordinator, and cheerleader for Washington. Rachel Engelson, she served as a director of marketing and client relations, director 
of client services, a manager of premium client services, customer service representative and intern for Washington, Anna Nunez. She served as a coordinator of business development and client service and account executive for Washington. And Brad Baker, he served as a video production manager and producer for Washington. It was Baker who in that second major article from the Washington Post on Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. So this was the article that came out on August 26th, 2020, implicated Dan Snyder and Larry Michael with quite the allegation, quote, Brad Baker, who was a producer in the team's broadcast department from 2007 to 2009, alleges that the taping of Beauties on the Beach which was the official video chronicling of the making of the Washington NFL team's 2008 cheerleader swimsuit calendar, included the taping of another video intended strictly for private use that featured moments when nipples were inadvertently exposed as the women shifted positions or adjusted props. The lewd outtakes were what Michael Per Baker referred to as the good bits or the good parts. And Baker said that Michael told staffers to make the video for Dan. Michael adamantly denied the allegation. The Washington Post obtained a copy of the 2008 video from another former employee, along with a similar outtakes video from the squad swimsuit calendar shoot in the Dominican Republic in 2010 that included a close-up of one cheerleader's pubic area, obscured only by gold body paint, end quote. So yes, it was Brad Baker who revealed the story about the good bits. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, hello, Danny. So again, this Wednesday, new name for the Washington football team. This Thursday, God knows what for the Washington football team. We may get commanders on Wednesday and a detailed account of the good bits on Thursday. Now, speaking of the Danny, uh, neither he nor any of the accused will have any sort of a say at the roundtable on Thursday. So this is going to be a one-sided affair. Now, do I think that Dan Snyder and others who have been accused of improprieties in this Washington workplace misconduct scandal are all innocent of that which those people have been accused? No, I do not. Uh, But A, that's my opinion. B, it may be that not everything that has been put out there is exactly true. We don't know. Uh, We also had this on Thursday, yet another sign of a partisan divide on congressional involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. Representative James Comer is a Republican from Kentucky and is the ranking minority member of the Oversight Committee. He on Thursday told ESPN in a statement that the hybrid roundtable is a, quote, misuse of this committee's resources, end quote, by Democrats. I brought this up weeks ago. There is a partisan aspect to Congress's involvement and Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. Democrats are for the involvement. Republicans are against the involvement. Uh, That's as clear as can be. Ergo, Congress's involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal has become a partisan issue. And I do wonder if Dan Snyder, being a major Donald Trump supporter, helped to compel Representative Carolyn B. Maloney and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy to get involved 
in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. Both Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamurthy are Democrats. Uh, Dan Snyder is known to have been a big supporter of President Donald Trump. According to Federal Election Commission records, Dan donated $1.1 million to Trump. Uh, If Dan had donated $1.1 million to President Joe Biden, would Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamurthy be going after Dan like this? Maybe. Okay, maybe. But then again, maybe not. Uh, I don't know. But I do wonder. And I'm not saying this to make Dan out to be a victim. Like, I'm not trying to make this out to be a political witch hunt. I'm just saying this because it stands out to me that political support for Congress's involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, like just about everything else in our country right now, is split along party lines. There's no denying that. This has become a partisan thing. Democrats are for congressional involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. Republicans are against congressional involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. I mean, I do think that there is a discussion to be had about whether Congress should be involved in this scandal, which, you know, if you think about it, right, has to do with a football team and primarily things that allegedly happened more than a decade ago. Like there are many more significant things for a Congress to be dealing with right now. But let me also make this clear. The victims in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal very much deserve to be heard. You know, not a single one of them deserved to be mistreated. Nobody deserves to be mistreated like these people apparently were. Dan Snyder has been a terrible owner of the team currently known as the Washington football team. Everybody knows that. And the lack of transparency with the Beth Wilkinson investigation has been a joke. Heck, personally, I still have a lot of questions about how thorough, how good the Beth Wilkinson investigation actually was. I still can't get over that, at least according to Jay Gruden. He wasn't interviewed in the investigation, nor was he even asked to be interviewed in the investigation. Assuming that's true, how does that happen? He was Washington's head coach for five and a half years, January 2014 to October 2019. Don't you think that Jay might know some things? Don't you think that Jay might have seen some things? How and why was he not interviewed as part of the Beth Wilkinson investigation? That makes zero sense to me. So where is all of this going? I mean, we're going to have this hybrid roundtable this Thursday on 2.3.22. Uh, Don't expect any hype videos from the Washington football team for 2.3.22, by the way. Presumably, there will be things that go viral on Thursday. There will be things that make Dan Snyder look even worse on Thursday. But then what? You know, people keep talking about the NFL needing to release the Beth Wilkinson report. You know, hashtag release the report. That sounds nice, but there is no report, people. Okay, not as far as we can tell. The NFL was very smart in how it did this. The NFL, as far as we know, didn't have Beth Wilkinson put together an actual written report. Her report, as far as we know, was oral. Now, perhaps there are notes and other documents that exist, although if I'm the NFL, I shredded those notes and other documents months ago. And so ultimately, if there is no Beth Wilkinson report to release, If there are no notes slash other documents to put out there, well, then what? I mean, could Congress eventually call Dan Snyder and others to testify? Yeah. 
could that result in Dan looking so bad that he eventually is ousted as Washington owner? Perhaps. I'm not holding my breath, though. I mean, you never say never. And it is true that so much has changed over the last two and a half years with the team currently known as the Washington football team. So who's to say that so many other things couldn't change over the next two and a half years? But I just keep going back to this. Dan Snyder's team got enveloped in a massive workplace misconduct scandal and a major ownership scandal and a huge name change controversy. And here we are now, less than two years later, and he's more powerful than ever before. He has come out of all of this, at least as things stand right now, more powerful than ever before. Dan bought out his disgruntled minority partners at a reported discounted price of $875 million with a reported $450 million debt waiver for which the NFL's finance committee made a special exemption. So why now, all of a sudden, would the NFL turn on Dan Snyder and oust him as an NFL owner? Now again, you never say never. And maybe the NFL has had it up to here with Dan Snyder. But I'm not anticipating that. I'm not waiting on that. Would I love to see Dan ousted as Washington owner? Of course. Do I expect that to happen? No, I do not. And I still very much believe that Dan's and the NFL's strategy with this reignited workplace misconduct scandal is the following. Deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. There's a rhyming key for you. Deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. Just keep denying things. Just keep delaying things, as in delaying giving Congress what it wants. And eventually, all of this will go away. This too shall pass. We'll see if that happens. You know, maybe the midterm elections are what Dan Snyder and the NFL are thinking about. Maybe the midterm elections this November change the committee on oversight and reform to where it's run by Republicans. And they put a stop to this congressional involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. Maybe that's Dan Snyder's and the NFL's strategy with this reignited workplace misconduct scandal. Just keep kicking the can down the road until November and hope that there's a red tidal wave this November. Although who knows what's going to happen in the midterms. I do know this. This is a gangster move. Congress conducting this hybrid roundtable the day after the Washington football team announces its new name. You know, the announcement is happening on the Today Show on NBC, right? Ain't no excuses now for the Today Show not to ask about the workplace misconduct scandal. Boy, that's going to make for some interesting television on 2.2.22. So yeah, 2.2.22 is the Washington football team's name change, and 2.3.22 is a congressional roundtable on the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal. Only with our team. Only with our team.
Up next, our special guest, Pro Football Focus lead fantasy football analyst Ian Horditz on the Washington football team. Great insight on San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo and whether Washington should pursue him. Also, wait till you hear what Ian has to say about a potential Washington pursuit of Buffalo Bills, unrestricted free agent to be quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Not so fast on saying no way to Trubisky. We'll get to all of that and much more after this. All right, guys, I want to tell you about something special, a great, easy, and affordable way to have your meals HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why HomeFresh is America's number one meal kit and HelloFresh is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that shortly. But if you want to eat healthy or at least eat healthier, uh, you want to eat food that tastes great and you don't have the time to be making trips to buy food and coming up with complicated recipes, try HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week so you get convenience without skimping on quality. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. HelloFresh offers flexibility with which you can customize your order. I customized my order by going with a HelloFresh box that was heavy on meat. I wanted that protein, brother. Uh, Yes, you can indulge with HelloFresh as well. You can satisfy your sweet tooth with desserts like Dunkaroo, cookie dough, and vanilla delight cheesecake. And HelloFresh will save you money. A HelloFresh meal on average is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 a month by ordering HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Yes, free food, free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, time now to welcome on our special guest to talk Washington football team, pro football focus, lead fantasy football analyst, Ian Harditz. You can follow him on Twitter at iHarditz. You can read his work at profootballfocus.com, including a really interesting piece on San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo headlined, San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo does less than just about any NFL playoff QB in recent memory. Ian, great to have you back on, man. How are you? Great to be on, man. I am doing well. What a weekend of football we had in that division round. Hopefully we got uh, two more good games coming up, even getting some uh, USFL reports uh, trickling in there as well, man. We nearly have these three games left. I'm just already starting to look ahead to these uh, empty months ahead of us and getting sad, but I don't want to don't do that and look too far in the future, so we'll stay in the present. Yeah, it always is a bummer this time of year because of exactly what you just said, that the NFL season is winding down, but the offseason is a coming, and uh, that's usually when Washington does its most notable work. (laughs) Uh, I have a bunch of Washington-related things that I want to get into with you, but let's start with Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll all watch him this Sunday evening in the NFC Championship game at the Los Angeles Rams. Washington is very much in the market for a quarterback this offseason. Garoppolo has come up as a potential trade target. To those Washington fans listening right now, including myself, who are at least somewhat intrigued by Garoppolo, uh, you say what about Jimmy G? I think he, if you want to win football games, he wins you. He's part of a winning team. And I think it's so hard for people to get past that, that it's, uh, you know, just kind of breaking the minds of some because we're so used to really anointing quarterbacks of whoever is winning as the most important piece because 99 times out of 100, they are the most important piece of the team. But I think we are looking at the one exception uh, to that rule. And when you when we can go back and look at, you know, 15 years of playoff data, like I did uh, in my article that you mentioned, I mean, it's just hard to really come away with any other conclusion. Jimmy Garoppolo in his playoff starts has averaged 18.7 dropbacks per game. This is among 34 qualified quarterbacks that have started at least three playoff games. I mean, the only guys even close are Ryan Tannehill at 25 dropbacks to start, Mark Sanchez at 27.2. So, you know, in that game, it's like, ah, oh, look at Jimmy G. He's just a winner. I think his special teams and defense are the winners here. Like, you look at the 2019 crew led by Nick Bosa, and then last week, I mean, it's been 80 minutes of playoff football action since this 49ers offense with Trent Williams, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, all these ballers have even managed to find the end zone. So, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, during the regular season his numbers were up there with really anyone from an efficiency basis and I think that's a testament to Shanahan those other players I mentioned him and Jimmy G in his own right he's not a bad quarterback by any stretch but when you look at what he's being asked to do in the playoffs compared to some of these other quarterbacks I just kind of reject the notion that he is you know the missing ingredient of this team or anything like that the, the key to unlocking the best version of the offense we've seen the Alex Smith Chiefs uh, the Tim Tebow led Broncos we've seen 
plenty of really good football teams be able to overcome what their quarterback has brought out under center. I think in both those instances, we saw they were better off moving on at the end of the day. So if I were a Washington football team fan, I would not be thrilled about Jimmy G potentially coming to town because I think he's only going to go as far as really the rest of the talent around the team is going to take him and no longer having your guy Trent Williams, only having, in my opinion, one uh, wide receiver you can really depend on. Hopefully Curtis Samuel can get healthier here in the future years. And I know we saw some flashes from Miami, but to me, there's just not enough there uh, in the system for Jimmy G to be anything more than what he's been, which is really, in my opinion, an above average quarterback at best. You noted a really interesting stat on Twitter recently, and that stat is this. If we include both the regular season and the postseason this season, Jimmy Garoppolo per Pro Football Focus is tied with Mike Lennon for the worst differential among NFL quarterbacks in big-time throws versus turnover-worthy plays this season at minus 16. Uh, Taylor Heineke, incidentally, has the fifth-worst such margin at minus nine. How telling is that differential to you, big-time throws versus turnover-worthy plays? So I will say uh, the stat doesn't do Jimmy a big favor. Big-time throws are a little more, I think, uh, indicative of a play style as opposed to someone actually being uh, really good or really bad. But I think it kind of helps paint out what Jimmy G is, and that is someone that isn't taking a bunch of chances. He's not completing these high-level throws, and that's fine. But similar to Ben Roethlisberger, who's tied for third on this list, like I think we and Tua as well, who's tied for third, when we see a game-managing quarterback like Jimmy G, we just kind of assume that that goes hand-in-hand with them taking care of the football. And that's been the problem, man. Like He has not taken care of the football. He's still been out there committing turnover-worthy plays at a higher rate than just about anyone. So, like again, we can live with Jimmy G is not making those, you know, crazy arm angle throws that we're seeing Mahomes and Josh Allen do every single week. Like that's not the end of the world. Yards are yards. Style points, you know, don't really matter at the end of the day. But it's when he's going out there with the interceptions and the fumbles and dropped interceptions and things of that nature and finding himself again in a group of quarterbacks featuring Mike Glennon, Big Ben, Tua, and Taylor Heineke. That's just not the best uh, group that you're going to want to find yourself in. So uh, really, you know, with Jimmy, it's just one of these things that we've seen there all season long and I'm just not so sure that again that play style unless he's in a a perfect situation which right now in this 49ers offense I think you'd be hard-pressed to really find a better overall situation for him to be in in the league Uh, you're just not getting really I think what a lot of people would expect we're talking Washington football team with pro football focus lead fantasy football analyst Ian Harditz so the belief is that Washington would be in on Aaron Rodgers Russell Wilson and Derek Carr should they become available this offseason. There's also a belief that Washington could be in on Deshaun Watson, but of course all four of those guys may not want anything to do uh, with Washington. Another veteran quarterback, though, whose name has come up with Washington is Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, Washington reportedly was interested in Trubisky last offseason and reportedly was interested in him leading up to this season's trade deadline. Is there any reason to think that Trubisky might be salvageable, you know, might be capable of a Ryan Tannehill-like rebirth, or should Washington steer clear of Trubisky? I think the Tannehill comp is uh, decent because, like, with Tannehill, if you look at his Miami years, um, 
people kind of just ignore the fact that he was okay for a couple years. I mean, it wasn't like he was as good as he was, you know, for the first three years that he's been with the Titans. But this, you know, that, that was kind of why I always rejected the idea that Sam Donald was going to just all, all of a sudden, you know, leave Adam Gase and just become this complete world beater. Because when you looked at uh, Tannehill and then also I think Mr. Trubisky, you at least saw uh, extended stretch of good play. We have still to this day never seen that from Sam Darnold. And of course, I'm speaking about Trubisky in that 2018 season where, man, he showed a legit ceiling out there. And yes, you know, I am a lead fantasy analyst. I know sometimes if you're not into fantasy football, uh, some of those stats can just kind of twist your opinion on, on guys and stuff. It's something. It's a game you're trying to win, not a game you're necessarily trying to track up production. But fantasy points at their core, man. We're just adding up yards and touchdowns, same sort of stats that, you know, any, any regular Jimmer Joe is going to be referencing. Anyway, in that year, man, we had Trubisky going for over 300 yards and multiple touchdowns in four of his first nine games before he suffered a shoulder injury that unfortunately kind of sapped some of his uh, dual threat upside. So he's gotten a chance to spend this last year behind Josh Allen in Buffalo. And I think looking at Trubisky and Allen, like you can make a case that Trubisky is like, you know, a, a lower middle class man's Josh Allen. I, I think that's somewhat fair to go through. Never would I dream of comparing them, uh, you know, straight up or anything. But with Trubisky, you still have someone that was drafted where he was, which was second freaking overall for a reason, and that's because of all that you know natural talent. So for me, I'm more willing to bet on someone like a Trubisky over someone like Jimmy G because you have just that higher unknown ceiling out there. And I think a good example of that was actually the first game that Josh Allen played in the playoffs against Mac Jones. And like, okay, Mac was very good as a rookie this year, but when you can just see kind of the limitations that someone like Mac, like Jimmy G have, you know, at the second the pocket breaks out, they're just useless. The play is dead. Someone like a Trubisky, someone like a Trey Lance, Justin Fields, I do think they warrant, you know, taking that extra risk at the beginning of drafts because as we saw in that Bills Chiefs shootout, uh, if everything goes right with them on the right team, the ceiling is just so much higher. So for Trubisky, man, you know, if you can get him on one of those like a Jameis Winston-esque one-year contract, um, I can certainly think of worse ideas. I do hope they uh, go ahead and move on from Taylor Heineke. Like, you know, we don't necessarily keep track of uh, hospital balls at a PFF, <laughs> but just from having watched every single Washington <laughs> game, man, I'm pretty confident Taylor Heineke uh, led the league in that. I don't know if there was a single play that made me more mad during the season uh, than against the Cowboys when Heineke had the audacity to wave Terry McLaurin deeper downfield only to underthrow the man by a good <laughs> 10 yards and ultimately cause him to get hurt. I-, I was furious, man. Yeah, Heineke was really bad in those two games against the Dallas Cowboys. The thing is, when he was good, he was great. Like, he was, it's funny. He's got to play Tampa every week. I know. Tampa Bay every week. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy, and it's funny because the guy he was in for, right, Ryan Fitzpatrick, has his reputation for being a high-variance quarterback, and Heineke yep. was the exact same way. Like, his good was great, but his bad was awful. He had that four-week stretch, I think it was right after their bye, where, yeah, he was bringing up one top 10 uh, PFF passing grade performance after another. So, I mean, credit to Heineke. I think he's, at, at a minimum, you know, earned himself a place in this league uh, for a while. I just think it's probably more likely as a backup. So, hopefully, uh, you know, if they aren't able to get something done in the draft, they can at least look at maybe a Jameis man, too. But, like, yeah, Jameis and Trubisky, some of these guys, um, I just, I'm, I'm more willing to chase that unknown than someone like Jimmy G, who honestly, I think, would be a similar move as when they brought in Alex Smith in the first place. Like, okay, look, I think a lot of teams in the NFL will be better off with Jimmy G than without. But the question is, like, what really are you, like, what's your ceiling with him unless the rest of your team is absolutely loaded? If the rest of your team is absolutely loaded, why wouldn't you try to go chase the best quarterback possible as well?
Interesting to hear that Trubisky take. You mentioned the 2022 NFL Draft. We're obviously so early in the pre-draft process, but do you have any strong opinions on any of the perceived top quarterbacks in the 2022 draft? Not too much yet. I just know that, you know, speaking with uh, Mike Renner, our PFS, you know, lead draft analyst, Trevor Sycamore, a lot of the guys that are as involved in it. I mean, you know, I'm on our every uh, Sunday weekly uh, PFF pregame show and we've done like mock draft simulations and these guys can't find a quarterback to try to squeeze in the top five, top ten. I would say uh, some of the stuff I saw from Pickett uh, throughout the year uh, I enjoy, but of course we're going to have to deal with, you know, the fact he's got small hands during draft season and all these ridiculous narratives that uh, will be flowing around. So uh, just my overall feel, again, from some of the more industry leaders uh, on the draft, it does seem like this is a year where might not necessarily have that game-changing quarterback coming out right away. But, man, it was like as soon as we got a couple of these younger rookie quarterbacks having some success you know, so early on, I think we all just really assumed uh, this last class in particular would be special. And you know, hearing some of the stuff about Trevor Lawrence, best prospects since Andrew Luck, you know, Justin Fields, and some of the things he did in that Clemson game and the Trey Lance narrative, everything going on. And you look at it and like, yes, Mac Jones was the best rookie quarterback, but that was almost by default, man. I still think you'd be hard pressed to say Jones was an above average NFL quarterback in the year 2021. So overall, man, regardless of which of these rookies are going to end up where, I think we maybe need to take a little step back and just realize that coming into the NFL is an awfully hard situation for these rookie quarterbacks when they're usually being put on bad teams in the first place so yeah that, like, that's kind of i guess what made trey lance so exciting for the fantasy community was the thought that okay usually you don't have teams like the 49ers actually in the position to pick in the top three in the first place um on, you know hopefully the Washington, if they choose to go that route, uh, they'll be able to do some good stuff in free agency to make that offense a better environment. Because right now, man, again, I love Terry McLaurin. I love Devontae Adams in Green Bay. It's legal to have more than one great wide receiver in your offense in the year uh, 2022. So I'm really hoping that Curtis can stay healthy. healthy. Hopefully, Diami Brown can expand on some of the things he did last year. And, you know, we'll see what happens with uh, Gibson and McKissick. I, I was wondering, do you have any um, leans on if J.D. McKissick will be back in Washington? Because I'll tell you what, man, there's a lot of uh, us fancy folks out there that would prefer Gibson to see a couple more targets throughout the season. Yeah, so the reporting has been that Washington wants to re-sign J.D. McKissick, and it was actually sounding toward the end of the Washington season that a deal might be struck even before McKissick hits free agency. I was actually going to ask you about this because it's tricky with Antonio Gibson. He has put up some numbers, but some of his efficiency stats aren't very good, and he had a major fumbling problem this season. Should Washington commit to giving Gibson more touches or is re-signing McKissick the right way to go? No, for real life. I mean, McKissick is a great running back in his own right. I mean, some of the things he can do in the passing game. And that, I mean, that touchdown he had against the Falcons, I believe, it's yeah. just like, my goodness, saw him hit a different gear. I didn't even know that dude had in the uh, open field. Real life, I think the committees make all the sense in the world. But Because, I mean, you look at it. In the year uh, 2000, I believe there were 19 different running backs that had at least 300 touches. Last year, there were four. So, no, I, you know, it's, I'm not saying they should be giving Gibson that full 400-touch workload 
or anything like that. But hey, we'll take it in fantasy because the one thing we love and uh, the kind of one remaining cheat code year after year after year is the true three down running back. So actual real life team building perspective, I think they're absolutely fine uh, continuing to switch things up between Gibson and McKissick. But, you know, man, maybe we can at least find like a finer line between their usage because we've seen McKissick, like they're not afraid to really use him around the goal line, run him up between the tackles. Obviously, they're not going to do it 15 times a game, but I wish that they wouldn't then commit to doing that with Gibson. Like, I think the general narrative around like never run the ball and stuff like that running backs don't matter and all these things that you know companies such as pff will be floating out there like a lot of that comes down to just the fact that like running any of these players into a freaking mess of a defensive line in front yeah. seven 20 times a game like that's just you're, you're not really helping yourself out so if you are going to continue to use mckissick and gibson i would just like to see them tap into gibson and what he can really do on the outside as a wide receiver which as we all know he was playing most of the time at memphis so if you, if you are going to keep mckissick out there great but Let's not pretend like Gibson is this like early down grinder. Yeah, Antonio Gibson also has had some injury issues. You mentioned Curtis Samuel. So you retweeted something suggesting that Curtis Samuel might actually be the closest player on another team in the NFL to Debo Samuel of the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I know that most Washington fans hearing that are rolling their eyes given how Curtis Samuel did next to nothing this season due to injury, but is there hope for Curtis Samuel with Washington? Could he be, say, Debo Samuel Light for Washington? Curtis still a year younger than Devo as well. I mean, see that guy only 25 years old with five years of NFL experience is absolutely wild. He fits the skill set, man. When you look at what Curtis has kind of done throughout his uh, career, in 2017, like, no, things uh, were also banged up for him. He was only able to play nine games. 2018 starts to get his feet wet. 2019 was supposed to be the breakout. Unfortunately, like, I have never seen a quarterback sap a wide receiver's value like Kyle Allen did to Curtis Samuel that year. I mean, I must have had a minute and a half, you know, clip of just one deep ball after another intended for Curtis Samuel. That just was nowhere near its mark. So, like, on it, like, what's one of these things where a lot of times, you know, you see some just brutal efficiency measures and you kind of assume it's a two-way street to some extent, but I really can't, man. And basically what we've seen from DJ Moore during these same stretches, I think, shows that it really was a situation in Carolina where it was going to be tough to win. But guess what? He managed to do so anyway in 2020 with Teddy Bridgewater under center. And if you watched and fans found any time to watch Broncos games this past year, I think you saw a lot of guys, a lot of fantasy managers of Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, that were pretty disappointed because Teddy couldn't get them going. Curtis Samuel did make that happen in a similarly rough situation and was looking good as a running back while doing it, man. 6.4 career yards per carry. Like he came, I'm a, I'm a Columbus, Ohio. I'm, I'm from there originally. So I'm an Ohio State lifer. I mean, when Curtis Samuel came to Ohio State, he was just straight up Ezekiel Elliott's backup running back to start um, his college career. But obviously, Zeke wasn't going to be going anywhere. So he started playing some wide receiver and was good enough to really do both. And then his final final year in Columbus, Urban Meyer was really able to use him as a Debo Samuel S, just hybrid RB wide receiver. So, yeah, I, I do love the comp. I believe it was by my guy, Nate Liss, who's actually going to be on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast on Friday. I invite you guys to all check that out if you're into some dynasty thoughts and things of that nature. And yeah, man, Curtis Samuel, like it's so fun when you see 
offenses use these wide receivers as true running backs. You know, Cordero Patterson, someone we've seen have a ton of success with that in recent years as well. And Curtis has that firmly in his skill set, man. He just needs to stay healthy. Well, speaking of Ohio State, something that comes up a lot in the Washington, D.C. area is where Terry McLaurin ranks among NFL receivers. Uh, His numbers this season did tail off as the season went on, but he overall has been really good over his three NFL seasons, despite playing with a merry-go-round of quarterbacks. From your perspective, where does Terry McLaurin rank among receivers in the NFL? Like, is Terry a top 10 receiver in the NFL, top 15, top 20? A big storyline this Washington offseason is the team potentially signing Terry to a contract extension. What's the right way to look at Terry McLaurin in terms of his league-wide standing? I kind of see him... Similarly, as like a T.Y. Hilton, which is meant as a massive compliment, uh, T.Y., in my opinion, was consistently a top 15 wide receiver throughout his time with Indy, did awesome things with Andrew Luck. But the entire time he was there, I couldn't help but wonder, like, what if this offense could be in a situation where Terry McLaurin was like one of the most overqualified wide receiver twos in the NFL? I mean, and Washington, to their credit, like I know they tried to throw a bunch of money at Amari Cooper. But again, it's one of these things where I hate seeing offenses settle on having their one great wide receiver and not add another one. Why the Cowboys felt fine drafting CD Lamb when they already had Amari Cooper, and at least on offense, you know that certainly uh, made things pay off just fine. So for me and Terry, he can do everything you you could ever want a number one wide receiver to do. It's unfortunate that I think a lot of Heineke's limitations force him to be just this big time boomer buzz player week after week after week. I mean, some of the stats that PFF consistently put out about McLaurin was how good he was at contested catch situations, like highest contested catch uh, catch rate in the league, but also the most contested catch targets. And if you watch Terry McLaurin for more than a handful of games, you realize we're looking at one of the better route runners out there. Why the heck does he have so many contested catch opportunities in the first place? That should be reserved for, you know, guys like Kenny Galladay that maybe aren't quite able to separate in the same manner. But once again, I just think that comes back to playing uh, with the quarterbacks he's been, he's had to deal with. So right now, Man, I mentioned DJ Moore, but I think it's between Terry McLaurin and DJ Moore as their generations. Allen Robinson, Andre Johnson, great wide receiver that unfortunately keeps getting brought back to earth by the play under center. So top 15, and uh, hey man, I think the production could be in there in the top 10 if they can figure out something at QB. Amen. Pro Football Focus lead fantasy football analyst Ian Harditz. You can follow him on Twitter at iHarditz. You can check out his work at profootballfocus.com. Ian, thanks so much for your time, man. All the best. Appreciate you, man. Have a good offseason. All right, before we call it a show, I do want to talk some Wizards. So the Wizards are reeling right now. They are just 13-22 and 22 since their 10-3 and three start to the season, the Wizards on Tuesday night suffered one of the worst losses in franchise history, a 116-115 loss to the Los Angeles Clippers at Capital One Arena as the Wiz blew a 35-point second quarter lead. We have the NBA trade deadline coming up on February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern. There's an increasing belief that the Wizards need to shake things up big time because There's something fundamentally wrong with the team to say nothing of the bigger picture of even if things were going well, where exactly would they be going? Because in the NBA, if you're not positioned to be, say, a top three seed in the playoffs, 
then you have very little chance at an NBA title. I mean, NBA history screams that. If you're not a top three seed in the playoffs, you have very little chance at an NBA title. And if you have a very little chance at an NBA title, what's the point? Okay, like what are we doing here? The Wizards at best are a middle of the pack team in the NBA, and that's a road to nowhere. Of course, a big part of all of this is Bradley Beal. Uh, He this summer can opt out of his contract and become an unrestricted free agent. The belief is that he will be opting out of his contract as opposed to accepting the Wizards max contract extension offer from this past October. Now, the belief also is that Beal would opt out this summer with the intent of re-signing with the Wizards, who can offer him a supermax contract of five years and $241 million. Uh, Beal, if he wants to maximize his value, would re-sign with the Wizards via that Supermax. But A, there's no guarantee that Beal would accept the Supermax and stay with the Wizards. He might accept the Supermax and then demand a trade from the Wizards. In other words, he could leave the Wizards in a sign and trade. B, even if Beal wants to stay with the Wizards, are you pumped about potentially giving him a five-year, $241 million deal? Like in a salary-capped league, as the NBA is, Uh, Is it wise to be giving Bradley Beal a five-year, $241 million deal? Because I am not pumped. I am not psyched about my Wizards giving Bradley Beal a contract like that. Beal isn't a superstar, and he this season isn't even the elite scorer that he had been in recent seasons. He's become a bad three-point shooter. He's an inconsistent defender. He's not a great fourth-quarter player. You know, he's not a bad player, but he's not a superstar. He's not worth a five-year, $241 million contract. The Wizards just got out of the Albatross. That was the John Wall Supermax contract. Then got out of the Albatross. That was the Russell Westbrook Supermax contract. Why all of a sudden would you want the Wizards to go right back to having an Albatross of a Supermax contract with one for Bradley Beal? Well, a few things with Beal. Uh, First of all, starters for this year's NBA All-Star Game were announced on Thursday night. Beal finished 11th in total All-Star voting among Eastern Conference guards. He was 12th in fan votes, 8th in votes by players, and he got zero media votes. Now, personally, I'm not big on putting a lot of stock into All-Star Game selections, but I thought that that voting was telling. Zero media votes for Bradley Beal. Now, Beal does have a chance to be voted in as a reserve. Uh, Those votes are done by NBA head coaches. All-star reserves will be announced on February 3rd. But this is the kind of season that Bradley Beal is having. Zero media votes in the voting for the NBA All-Star game. There's also this, what Beal had to say to Wizards insider Chris Miller of NBC Sports Washington. Uh, Beal granted a sit-down interview with Miller. And there were two things that Beal said that stood out. First of all, he offered a theory for why the Wizards have been so bad since their 10-3 and start to the season. And the theory makes sense to me. The theory is that the Wizards have a lot of guys in contract years who are playing selfishly. Quote, a lot of my teammates are fighting for minutes. They're fighting for a spot. They're fighting for survival in a lot of ways, trying not to be traded, trying to stay in the league trying to get another contract. So I get it from the business standpoint, and it's tough to manage that 
from different roles because everybody has a different agenda in a way. Once we have a committed group to what's important and winning, then I think that's what's going to change. End quote. Uh, Beal didn't say explicitly that guys are playing selfishly, but that's exactly what he was saying in that passage that I just read to you. Uh, Beal didn't mention any specific teammates, but among those Wizards who are in contract seasons are Montrez Harrell, Thomas Bryan, Hole Neto, and Aaron Holiday. Also, Rui Hachimura is eligible for a contract extension this summer. I do think that there's something to what Beal is saying because the chemistry with this Wizards team has been off for months now. And for Beal to put that out there, that indicates to me that guys in contract seasons playing selfishly is a problem. That's not just something that you say without having reason to say. The other thing that Beal said to Miller is that the Wizards, again, being a play-in team for the NBA playoffs, uh, would be the kind of thing that might dissuade Beal from wanting to stay with the Wizards. So the Wizards, as we speak, are 23-25. and 25. They are 10th in the Eastern Conference. Being 10th in the East would give the Wizards the final play-in spot in the East if the NBA playoffs began today. Miller asked Beal, quote, what is the long-term effect of the play-in tournament, end quote. Here's how Beal responded, quote, oh, that would be something I've got to sit down and think about, honestly, because I don't want to be a play-in team. I don't think anybody in our organization wants to be a play-in team. And I think from that standpoint, I'm not alone in that thinking. I think we all know that we can be better than a play-in team, and we've obviously got to put in the work and do that. But I mean, I feel like that's a step back in a lot of ways, and we're trying to proceed forward, and that's kind of either staying the same as last year or not making any progress at all. And so that plays a factor into it. But until that happens, I can't say, end quote. So some comments from Beal right there indicating that the Wizards, again, being a play-in tournament team, which they were last season, might be reason for him to want to leave the Wizards after this season. Uh, Here's the deal. All along, this Wizards-Bradley Beal contract situation has been framed as the Wizards need to prove to Beal that they're worthy of him. At some point, Beal needs to prove to the Wizards that he's worthy of being treated like and paid like a superstar, okay? Because he hasn't played like a superstar this season. And for all of the good that he has done with the Wizards, he hasn't led the Wizards to anything. The Wizards haven't advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979. 1979! We ripped the Washington football team all of the time for not having done anything of true consequence in decades. How about the Wizards? They haven't made it past the freaking second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979. I got to tell you, I'm getting a little sick and tired of even subtle threats slash hints from Bradley Beal that he may want to leave the Wizards. And this treatment of Beal from the Wizards of, oh, he's this NBA superstar to whom we must cater and we need to keep giving him max contract offers. And it's okay if he doesn't accept our max contract extension offer from this past October because we'll just offer him a super max contract if slash when he opts out this summer. 
and heaven forbid we ever even entertain the notion of trading Beal. You know, enough with all of this. What have the Wizards won with Bradley Beal? What have the Wizards done with Bradley Beal? The guy got zero votes, zero votes from the media in the NBA All-Star Game voting this season. And again, Beal's not a bad player. And I don't think that Beal's a bad guy. I mean, I'll say this about Beal. He is pretty accountable. He admitted to Chris Miller that he, as in Beal, needs to be better on defense. Good for Beal. I was glad to see that. Uh, But yeah, he needs to be better on defense. You know, Bradley Beal has been one of the principal culprits over the years with the Wizards in talking about needing to be better on defense, but not actually being better on defense. The Wizards are great at talking about doing things. They're not great at actually doing those things. And Beal has been someone who has been at like the front of the line when it comes to that over the years. Uh, But I'm getting sick and tired of the Wizards being held hostage by Beal. And I have no desire for the Wizards to give him a five-year, $241 million contract. It's looking more and more like the Wizards need to trade Beal. Whether they would actually do that, who knows? Whether they would get anything close to equal value for him, who knows? But the Wizards need to be open to trading Beal if they're not already. One more thing on the Wizards. Head coach Wes Unsell Jr. on Thursday had the team watch the entire second half of the loss to the Clippers together. How about that? Wes Jr. made the team sit and watch that embarrassment of a second half together, a second half that the Wizards lost 80-49. Good for West Jr. for doing that. But let me also say this, the Wizards being just 13-22 since their 10-3 start to the season is on West too. It's on him to get guys to not play selfishly. It's on him to get guys to be better defensively. And he hasn't been effectively doing those things. I applauded the Wizards hiring Wes Unsell Jr. as head coach. He was the guy who I wanted out of the many, and I mean many, assistant coaches who the Wizards interviewed for their head coaching vacancy. And he did a great job during the Wizards' 10 and 3 starts of the season. But 13 and 22 over the last 35 games, that's not a tiny sample size. Things are not going well. And uh, Wes Unsell Jr. to me is far from blameless in what's going on with the Wizards right now. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 240, will feature in-depth reaction from a Washington football team perspective to whatever happens on the NFL's conference championship Sunday. The Cincinnati Bengals at the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC championship game Sunday afternoon at 3 Kyle Shanahan's San Francisco 49ers said yes. Sean McVay's Los Angeles Rams in the NFC Championship game Sunday evening at 6.30. I'll give you what stands out from these games from a Washington perspective, takeaways from these games from a Washington perspective, and more. Also on Monday's show, I'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. The Capitals will be at the Dallas Stars Friday night at 9. The Wizards will be at the Memphis Grizzlies Saturday night at 8. And we'll have plenty of college basketball. Maryland will host Indiana Saturday afternoon at 2.30. Georgetown will be at Butler Saturday at noon. Virginia will be at Notre Dame Saturday evening at 6. Virginia Tech will be 
at Florida State Saturday afternoon at 3. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.